Welcome to the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass, as well as the Advanced Player's Guide with the custom Excel tools at theoryofdfs.com. And this episode, I'm joined by the destroyer of DFS ecosystems, the person that single-handedly, single-handedly, Gave out, uh, gave out the goose on uh, on episode forty five of this very podcast, the Black Box, August seventeenth, twenty twenty one. It's Daniel Hutchings, aka Nerdy Tenor. I said, I said on Twitter that this was going to be your trial, but I'm, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if I'm going to be a good judge. Well, I, I did some research with my lawyer before the show, and uh, was relieved to discover that there's no death penalty on the theory of daily fantasy sports. Uh, so that was a huge relief. So I don't have to worry about that. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you might be a little biased, but uh, but you know, um, it is pretty funny. I I think uh, <laughs> I've talked to people about about this topic many times and I um it's just uh, I don't really have that much power and it you know everybody's like uh you know why uh, you know why would you give away your secrets as aren't you hurting your EV um and it's just so touching that they they care so much about you know my your EV, EV. Right. I, I just I didn't know I didn't know so many people cared it was really <laughs> something but uh, well well to, to, to no recap. I think to, well, well yeah, before for people that may not have you know it's we're on episode 108 now that may yeah, not have been into episode 45 I'm obviously people that listen to this podcast tend to be on in the know a little bit more you made your first ever I believe that was the first time you've ever been on a show of any type or that's right kind of yeah. expressed any of your opinions. And uh, you're a regular, you're a regular viewer of uh, my Roto Grinder shows, and you hang out in the chat and whatever. You always help out and everything. Uh, good teacher. You're in the Discord as well. Uh, that you came on to and to describe your process and your your attitude was is that you you your background is in poker and solvers and programming and everything, and you built yourself a system to take. Uh, publicly available projections and ownership and everything and build build a process in which you could determine you know which portfolio of lineups that you're going to play that should be profitable and you you back tested it i mean you did it like as a kind of a, as a simulation of a simulation to see whether or not this would be profitable before putting like your money down and then you got a backer that backed you. And then once you saw that it was good, you didn't need that anymore. And then you came on the show and like, okay, I want to describe what I do, but your, your main, your main thing about describing your process is that like, you didn't like release your code or anything. You're not like yeah. going into any advanced things of this is how you would accomplish the task. Cause you said that you have to use trial and error, like n- so many times yep. that you're not going to give that away. You l- let other people go through the same crap that you had to go through to figure it out but conceptually you didn't feel any need to to oh this is what i believe that you could do and that in and of itself like some people like brian on on lulls would say it's like well maybe you'll give someone an idea and it'll create them a create a monster 
at the higher stakes or higher value, high, higher volume. I think that's where the main consideration is. I don't think this whole thing of like you're destroying the entire DFS ecosystem yeah. and the sim wars of, of, of 2023 have ensued. I'm not, I'm not, I, I mean, I said it on, on Davis's podcast on the take cast, like, will it make some of the more average players a little bit better? Yes. Will it make some of the above average players a little bit more elite? Yes. But I still think, do you, do you agree? Cause coming from a poker background that no matter how many people are using solvers and, and advanced strategies and study up on the game, like the profit really comes from the people that don't do that. And as long as there's enough people that don't do that, like everyone can eat. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, I have on my to-do list uh, once the MLB season is completely done. We're almost there. Um, I want to chart over time uh, uh, buckets of EV in the large field GPPs over time. So that was my. This will be my third MLB season, and I have a ton of data. I did um, like just this year. I did uh, 307 slates and 2,028 contests in MLB this season. So I have that almost times three, and I'm curious to chart over time, uh, just using my biased uh, post-lock sims, um, how, what percentage of the field was plus EV? Um, what percentage of the field was losing but less than the rake? And then what percentage was losing a little bit more than that, and then what percentage was losing a ton. And I'm, I'll be curious to see over time, but it's really that last bucket that dominates the equation because uh, if you do the math on, on what EV is available to win, it's dominated by the really bad lineups are just massively similar lineups in large field, right? So that's gonna be the question, but um, when it when it comes to like me talking about stuff and um, I, I just think I, I was going to talk about why I think that's not such a big concern. But the, the main point is like anybody can release any information at any time on this stuff and there's nothing anyone can really do about it. Like Osimo could go open source tomorrow if they wanted to. Uh, I don't think they will, but there's there's no like secret society for the preservation of daily fantasy secrets there isn't and, there isn't know, a secret if there is one i didn't get an invite if there is one i don't know um nobody everyone plays me. the same lineup in double ups and i thought it, we were all sharing the secret chat. <laughs> that's right yeah so i i do think it is i agree i think it's dominated by the the bottom end and i think you know i i am i'm proud of what i created for myself but i don't think it moved the needle very much i think everything i've done is not it you know I'm, all of the precursors to what i've done was in the air and there are already other people do probably doing everything i've done and probably a few people better at it than i am and because that, that's, the, that's, Sims, the, that's the point because i've talked to other people and it's like like what you're doing is not anything what the sim or not maybe not what you're specifically doing but what these sim products, right? You run our simulations here and of contest sims, which is something that I said was, you know, quote unquote, the holy grail when I talked to Justin Freeman saying, you know, something like that 
is what you should be doing conceptually. And there's nothing publicly available that even come close to doing something like that, that I view it the same way as like optimizers were, you know, six years ago and projections were four or five years before that. It's like, Oh, like someone came out with actual projections for NFL that people can subscribe to. I've been, I've been doing NBA projections myself and plotting out and doing like, well, now I could, now people have this thing that they could just look at and, Yes, the field does get better, but like these are things that people are already doing. Yeah. Do you feel? Do you feel, Daniel, that I don't want? I don't want to, you know, use like for a soundbite or anything like that. Do you think <laughs> that the people that are complaining, and I don't know how much of the complaining is real complaining or troll complaining. Most of it's troll complaining, but right, there's there's a few people troll. who are serious about it for sure. I right. talked to a couple. Yeah, uh, is a lot of it based on the fact of like, oh, you. I'm doing exactly what you're doing, you know, exactly conceptually what you're doing for several years. Right. And I don't want to give any other people the ideas to do it. Cause I think that's I, to get back to Brian's main concern is that he's not concerned about the, the stochastic sim subscribers that like, let me throw in one line. The solver has a one lineup thing and we could debate. And I want to talk a little bit about the methodology of some of these some yeah, of these yeah. Uh, tools, yeah, but sure. but the amount of pe like the amount of people that it'll greatly affect you in these large field GPPs, especially, is I is just so minimal from a yeah. price point perspective, right? Because yeah. it's expensive. I think the main concern is that uh, I, we don't like uh, like so someone that that uh, recently. Like over the past like maybe two years, like B G what what's his name B G R Seth or whatever. Oh, uh huh. Right. Like like we have uh, we, uh, some people come out of you came out of kind of nowhere. It's like, oh, who's this guy doing well? Uh, they're more concerned about like that. They're mm -hmm. I'm having a, a new whistles go woo, a new that that a new 150 maxer that is as good or better than them. That's taking up that's that's sucking away some of that EV. Yep. But but it's but it but to the average person. Like that ecosystem is always going to change in, in high stakes poker. Like, yeah, the high stakes game has, you know, like there's nine people playing. There's like, like three, three, you know, two whales and three, like sort of okay players. And then really high stakes. And then like someone leaves, like right. one of the better players leaves for an even better opportunity. And there's another spot there. Like we've seen in, as many people leave the DFS ecosystem that were there. Yeah. Why doesn't that continue? Why is this not like a zero sum thing where, where two years from now, let alone, you know, 10 years from now, that it ends up being that like, oh, no, it's just Sims against Sims. Yeah, it could be. And I, I think it's definitely true. Like, like, I, I would say to that, the anytime you help someone in a zero sum well actually negative sum game like dfs or poker you're necessarily hurting someone else right mm -hmm. that's just the nature of it it's unavoidable so why are you hurting um, everyone daniel i'm <laughs> <laughs> um, helping somebody and hurting somebody else i mean I, uh, I i enjoy talking about this stuff i like going on shows i like having private conversations i like going on discords that has value to me and i get things out of that too even talking to people who 
are much lower down on the ecosystem, either on volume or like I, I've, I learn a ton from those interactions. So it has value to me just, just for that. But also it's just, you know, we can do what we want. And so there it is. <laughs> right. Like you're, I have you're, my, you're... I have my point where I won't talk anymore and it's, it's further along than most other people's and that's fine. Yeah, like there's some people you. Who, no one, no one else gets control. That, but yeah, the, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like having a personal like power moment or anything. It's just everybody has that point at a different spot, and that's fine. I've I've met people at live finals who never want to make any public anything ever, and that's perfectly fine too. Um, it's just it's just up to up to people what they want to do. I think the most charitable thing I can say about it, like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Who, who claim to be concerned about my EV is, you know, maybe it's much worse than I think. And maybe maybe it's costing me a lot more in EV than I actually realize. And if I knew how much it really cost, I, would, I wouldn't have said as much. Maybe, I, I kind of doubt it. I think, I think anybody who's good enough to be highly competitive in this space doesn't really need my help and would have gotten there without me. Um, well, Alec, well, Alex Baker said on the recent Lowell's podcast that listening to the episode with you gave him the idea for what the stochastic Sims product is. And yeah, I, I would assume your contention is that Alex is smart enough that he would have came to that regardless. Yes, yeah, I think at best, at best, maybe I nudged a few people a little sooner. You know, that's that's it. I, I think you look at the history of any sort of technology or science, like multiple people end up inventing and discovering the same things like around the same time, like that happens over and over again, because it's just the ideas that come before in the air. And there's enough, there are a ton of smart people in this space. Um, quite a few are, are smarter than I am and they're gonna get there. So I'm sure these Sims, this is quote, Sim Wars would have happened with or without me, uh, maybe maybe slightly later if, if, I, if I'm feeling uh, especially egotistical, but I think it just would have happened. So. Do you think it is an actual sim war? Have you taken a look at some of these sim products and the methodologies that go into it? I'm assuming that you know your process is way way more advanced or intricate than these. And do you think that the methodologies that are being used are they? as beneficial as the claims are in relation to the types of people that would be attracted to using them? Well, it's that last part that's the real question mark for me. So if you are, so I I haven't gone deep into any of these products, but I've, I have watched some videos showing them being used and uh, there, there's a there's a couple of questions here. The first is who's using them. So if you're if you're somebody who's like in sort of the bad bucket, like you're lo losing twice the rake or more in EV. So you enter the big GPP, which has fifteen percent rake, and you're losing thirty percent on average. Okay, if you won't use one of these tools, even not being very sophisticated in how you use them. Um, my intuition is that would be an enormous benefit. Like you might get close to the, much closer to the break even line 
um, and and probably pass the losing less than the rake line uh, just by doing something basic with these tools. Um, that's assuming you know how to use these tools and don't blow yourself up with them. Um, but yeah, I think I think for people who are already you know close to break even or small time winners, I think it's helpful, but it's going to be a much smaller delta and improvement for that kind of player. I think, you know, I can't remember who I was listening to. It might have been the lost lols, but each each increment of improvement is harder and harder. Um, like it's it's much easier to go from minus 30% to minus 5% than it is to go from, you know, minus 5% to plus 10%. Like that's a much bigger jump. Um, so, but I think in general, what I've seen is is seems like a good approach. Um, in terms of comparing it to my own process, like you mentioned, that my process is is more intricate, and there's some ways that's true. Um, I think I think I'm more advanced in some ways and less advanced in others. Um, my approach has has some advantages and disadvantages, um, but there are a lot of pieces to make it work. Um, one that that can be, be very important is just the trade-offs between speed and quality because I'm, I'm frequently running things minutes before lock. So because of lineup changes or last minute released lineups, especially for sports like, you know, I don't do a lot of basketball, but that would be an obvious one. Um, so a, a lot of the challenge to getting this stuff really competitive is to make it quick enough to run last minute and have a high quality output. So there's just just a ton of engineering work to make all of that scalable and you know relatively low amount of bugs and errors in that process, right? Because you know baseball is pretty funny. Um, you know, you've got a, you know, the Giants haven't released their lineups and lock is in 13 minutes. Well, if I get that lineup with eight minutes to go, I I can, I can use that and do everything from scratch all over again, which I think is a pretty substantial edge for me, especially if the, the new lineup is so different that it, it changes the combinations that are possible. Um, that could be a significant edge where uh, if you, if you don't have that ability, you're stuck managing late swaps and trying to do the best you can after the fact, which is which is harder. So I do see, just to sum up, I'm just rambling a little bit, but uh, I do see a lot of the pieces of these new tools seems like a sound approach. Like, you know, guess what the field is gonna do, um, see what does well against that field using uh, simulations of of athlete results and see which lineups would have beaten the field. That seems like smart a smart approach. Um, but I think that 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 approach has two. To me, it has two prongs to it. And to yeah. get back to what you were said earlier about, I agree that if you're a minus thirty percent player, like using these to get to break even seems like almost a no brainer. The yeah. problem is the paradox is the types of people that are. 2x, 3x, 4x the rake are people that look at these types of tools going, you know, I don't even understand. They're not even aware or they, they're they the types of people of like, I'm not going to let a computer make my lines. 
That's right. And also, you know, I haven't done a, a in-depth analysis, but but when I've run these post-lock sims, there is a strong inverse correlation between the number of lineups you enter and your EV. So the absolute worst lineups are usually put in by people entering a single lineup or a couple. Um, so I guess the question, and I know nothing about the business side, is like, are people going to be willing to use such a tool if they're putting in relatively low volume like this? Um, I have no it's idea. It's just a lot of those, like the bad yeah. lineups are just a lot of those people. So people may go and they, they're in this bubble of DFS. They follow DFS people on Twitter. They listen to this podcast and they go, oh, you know, everyone, everyone looks at projections, everyone. And even some of like the smaller sports or anything, but you still, I mean, I'd say that the slant in NFL is no longer like a good contest to play uh -huh, because more yeah. than half of the entries are from 150 maxers. But then people go, well, well, what's the other 50? Like the other 50% are a mishmash of like, yeah, there are some people that put in 80. There's some people that put in 40, but people don't realize like in the Millie maker, just yeah. how many people put in one to five lineups that make up like the majority of the entire contest only because there's just so many when there's there's only so many 150 maxers there's yeah. only so many multi-enterers that there could be that it becomes especially in the milli maker where you get negative ev lineups winning the milli because yep. there's, it's it's it, in poker we called implicit collusion right that's the old skolensky phrase of yeah you have aces but you're up against eight opponents like you're a dog to win this hand like you're the most probable but you're still less than 50 percent chance to win this dude there are tons of onesies and twosies out there that someone randomly will it's one of them you don't see you don't what tell me the person that puts in one lineup into the milli that's won three millies with mm -hmm. one line like like a one lineup per like that has a lineup that makes no sense like there's there's the person that's found like the oracle or something right, right. there's the time we, we found the time lord there but like <laughs> These tool, these tools, they to get to, to go into the methodology. Do yeah. you believe that I've I've surmised? Remember, I have a much more conceptual understanding of these things than can I program them myself. That it's much easier, or it it's easy. I don't want to use the term easier, but you could be much more accurate in projecting player outcomes and game outcomes and correlations and stuff like that much more than predicting field lines. Yeah. In some ways it depends on the sport, but in some ways I think it's a harder problem. I think it really, and other people have pointed this out. Um, I think brick was talking about this where if, if you're, if you're using one of these tools for large field and you're simulating a large field of opposing lineups, as long as you're not too dumb about how you do that, as long as you get a, a large mix of lineups, you'll probably, because there's the number of them is so large, you're probably gonna get pretty close, assuming your ownership projections are decent. And as long as you mix up all the combinations. So, you know, if, if uh, pirate stacks are, you're expecting to be 5% of the field, you wanna make sure that they're not all one, two, three, four, five, you wanna, you know, a nice mixture of those, right? And if, if you have a 30,000 man contest, 
you're probably going to be somewhere close enough as long as you're intelligent about that. But it gets much harder where when you're simulating a small contest, like um, like a 20-man contest where it's not so easy. You may have constructions where that, that pirate stack and the 20-man, like you can make a profitable pirate stack, but only if you're the only one who has it. So now you're playing a guessing game. Like, is someone else going to play this or not? And now it's it's sort of the the I don't want to call it crude, but like um, sort of volume based approach you can use in a in a large GPP where you just you know you shake on a bunch of lineups that sort of a big stew and it, it sort of looks approximately correct. That, that kind of breaks down if you're talking about a small contest. Um, you, well, that's, that's reliant on ownership projections, and my attitude is that I think it's I think ownership project the the, the Accuracy of ownership projections versus player projections is much wider. Yeah. And there's a very big difference only because, I mean, this is what I study CSVs for is yeah. going through and saying like, oh, this past slate, like projections would say that Zach Moss should be 18% owned. Right. And I, anything I run gives, says that 18% is actually under owned. For, is is over owned for that? He probably should be more like thirteen or fourteen percent owned, and then he comes in at eight percent owned. And from my exploitative approach, like the fact that I have less of Moss, I should actually have over on Moss. Like if I created field lineups based on based on the if I if I thought if I had Moss at eighteen percent and Kenny Walker at ten percent, and I had Jerome Ford at at 8% and and Tony Pollard at 28%. And if those numbers are off, like the numbers, the like, it, would this be true? The, the close, the, the higher the number is, like based on your, your argument of like, it's a big stew, there's 400,000 lineups or what, four, even 50,000 lineups, whatever, big field contest, that if I have, if I, if my field that I create, let's say, as 24% Tony Pollard and he ends up coming in at 28%, that isn't as big of a deal as, well, I have 18% Moss lineups, but he only came in at 8%. Like, that's a very big deal. And if I have someone that like 2% that came in at like 7%, like that, those are much bigger deals that if I have 30% Pollard, if I, if I have Mike Williams at 25% and he comes in at 22%, like probably the EV calculations are not going to be dramatically off but it's these other cases where like once you add a a, a what would be a 66 percent dif difference between like 10 and 15 right yeah. not just for one player but for a multitude of players i don't care about the guy that's 0.2 percent on that ends up being 0.3 percent on right i don't yeah. necessarily care about that i don't care about the the guy that's 48 percent on that ends up being 50 percent like i did that, that those don't matter but aren't there enough of those discrepancies that, like, once you compound them on top of each other, that e the stew becomes, like, there's, you predicted too many carrots. Like, you have too many, you know, like, there's not enough green beans in there. And especially once you add correlation to the mix, like, of your of your own line, you know, you're, you're simulating player performances and everything like that, that some of that, 
I mean, the margin of error, the error bars on these EV calculations could be, I mean, human, I mean, could be like a lineup that projected to be, you know, 62% ROI could actually be a negative 37% ROI. Like just with a couple of those switches, like yeah. your, your assumption is that these tools work methodol methodologically proper to most degrees. If, Player projections and ownership projections are reasonably enough accurate. But yeah. what describe the case where the ownership projections are 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 not as as accurate of what the field actually does? Yeah, well, it it gets to the question of of um, for me the question of noise versus bias comes in here. Where um, <clears throat> so you can imagine someone who uses these tools, plugs in their, you know, reputable projections and ownership, uh, creates a reasonable field, but the ownership is off. And the so-called highest projected lineup that they come up with is actually negative EV because they were in the wrong direction on ownership. So that's absolutely a scenario to take seriously. Um, I'll be interested to see how people that use these tools and also incorporate diversification because if it's it's one thing to say that it could be wrong in one direction, but if if the entire process is on average right, then if you spread your bets around enough, you should be plus EV. So maybe you're wrong about the Pirates, but you're right about the Dodgers and the you know three other teams. So right, but you're you're describing a portfolio of like you could yeah, build a yeah. one fifty set that you may be off on some, but you're. Like it's the same thing with your like kind of like balanced approach of like you don't right. care what the ownership is because you may have yeah this 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 lineup may be overowned but I have less of them yeah right so like but I'm describing individual individualized yeah, lineup EV that if you're not like I don't want to rely on well if you build a 150 set you're 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 bound to, you're bound to be plus EV to a certain degree if that's what the product is. Four, I mean, like, hmm. conceptually, you can't just tell someone that, like, yeah, you're going to be right on some, you're going to be wrong on the other, and not even know which way it's going to be. Yeah. And then just I, do it. I mean, you can't, to me, you can't use a, someone that is not building a volume-based approach of, like, I'm going to spam everything and get a 2 right. to 3% ROI. And even though, like, it's the same thing that I say about, like, triple-ups and quintuple-ups. Like, the easiest exploit in, in DFS is fine, especially in the weeks where like the cash lineup is like very obvious or a two V two from the highest rejected lineup. And like people just throw these lineups into these three X's, five X's, 10 X's. It's like, dude, just play a six V six, the highest projected six V six off of that. Yeah. And you've shown in some of your simulations that you can play lineups that are well lower projected just because you're in a triple up with 31 people. And like, 10 have one lineup and eight have another lineup and five yeah. have another lineup. And just simply put that your equity is just too high because of all the duplication yeah. that it's almost like you're playing a head to head and you're getting paid three X or five X. Like how does that not apply to the large field contest where you have people like yourself or 150 matches going, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm right in one direction or not, but since I have 150, one will balance out the other. Well, from an exploitative perspective, if you're just building five lineups, 
shouldn't you be much more inclined to go with an exploitative approach? And that's why when you look at the, the, these SIM tools, like it's much more important that like in that, in that 20 man contest of, if you can figure out you're the only one playing a pirate stack, that's so much more valuable than someone that's like, well, I'm just going to play a bunch of everything. Right. So if, yeah, I think if, if you're somebody who likes to play single entry or low entry stuff and you're using these tools, it's going to be really interesting because um, my concern would be if there are enough people doing similar things and creating similar simulated fields, they're going to have very similar quote unquote high EV lineups coming out of the other end. And now we've defeated the purpose because the, the field isn't what I simulated. Because you, you have to consider, like consider the end state where where like everybody has this or almost everyone has this. Like you're, you start to eat your own tail where it's the same thing with, with ownership projections where everybody has the same ownership projections. And so they start to make the counter move. And so the ownership projections are, are like the opposite of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like a self-canceling prophecy right, I mean, where... But Daniel, that's kind of, that's kind of so what that, I do. Like, like it's yeah. the same thing of in NFL or any other sport where I'll go and look at everyone's projections and be like, if everyone thinks that, like, we see this in M dude, we see it in MLB where, well, everyone has this, everyone has this stack is underowned. I think more people are going to go for that stack because they right. see that it's, I see that it's underowned, and I know. How many people are going to see it as under own? So what I purposely do is go, well, if I saw it, I'm going to bump up the, I'm, I'm going to manually bump up the ownership because it's like, I have to compete against who else is looking at the same things that I'm looking at. And it becomes yeah. a game of chicken in that yes. point. And then, yeah, if everyone was using the same Sims, if you understood the output, it would get into that that game theory, that third level. You're thinking that I'm going to play that, that you're going to think that, yeah. and you end up playing different lineups. But do you think that just like with optimizers, I, I mean, it's 2023. You're in a Roto-Grinders Discord, right? You see <laughs> yeah. me answering questions. You see me, there, there are plenty of people that don't understand the dynamics. I'm not talking about the features of an optimizer, the constraints that you could put in and the way that you could... You'd make the lineups you want to make, but just simply the concept of what a mean or median projection is yeah. and what the optimizers like is solving a knapsack problem with constraints. Like it's 2023 and these are people that subscribe to stuff that yeah. still, that still get lineups that are clumped that are all like, like they're all messy because they don't know how to use the tools. Well, yeah. Don't you think the same thing happens with with Sims? Once it gets to the price point in which it becomes much more feasible, I could like it's not hard to two hundred dollars a month for someone that's playing you know five lineups a day and a hundred dollars a day is probably not worth it. But right. there is going to be a race to the bottom where, just like with any other tool, this is going to be you know a forty fifty dollar a month type of thing. It'll be tacked on to some package or something like that, yeah. and then people go in and then go. Uh, what are the what are the magic settings, right? They go, and then I'm gonna just put in the magic settings, and I'm gonna press the button, and it's gonna go. Oh, this lineup has the highest EV, and they're not even gonna understand that the 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 realization of the EV realization of each lineup is different. Like I think that's another thing that may steer people 
away in the beginning yeah. is that some of your the highest EV lineups are lineups that are are you the only one playing the pirate stack? Right. And the That's pirates right. still only have like a three percent chance of being the top stack. And when you when you're the only one that plays it, and the pirates are the top stack, you win the whole contest. But right. you also lose even if no one else plays the pirates, you lose ninety seven percent of the time. And if someone else uses the pipe now, now your lineup, your lineup EV goes insanely down. I'm I'm somewhat concerned that people look at these ROI numbers and well, this line, I'm I'm waiting, Daniel, for the for the for the RG shows that I do where people mm -hmm. ask me about you know projection versus ownership from a, like a blunt perspective. How much projection should I give up for this? How much ownership right. should I give up for that? And I'm like, there's really no correct answer there. There's conceptually, you should probably should. You know, if you're getting less projection, you should be getting less ownership. But it's going to be the thing of, do I play this? Do I play the simulated lineup that has a 42% chance of a 42% ROI with a top 0.1% rate of 0.8 or a top, or a one with a cash rate of this? Or do I play the 39%, the one with the 39% ROI that is a little higher win? Like, I'm, I'm waiting for those questions where my answer is going to be, there's no correct answer to that either. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be fun for you, I'm sure. Yeah, I think there, there's a few problems. So to get to get back to like the beginning and like just what I worry about long term for profitability is you need two things really. You need you need one of these sim tools to be so easy to run that you basically push a button and it spits out some reasonable mixture of lineups that you can enter. Right. That's condition one. And condition two is there need to be enough people using it that there, there aren't enough bad lineups left to, to win money. Um, but we're a very long way from that. And I think for, for people who aren't already playing very high volume, I think it's actually really quite difficult to, to know if one of these systems is good or not. Like, what would it take for you to actually know if one of these sim tools is good, like a lot of data and a lot of trials and a lot of analysis, like uh, I, I'm sort of uh, super obsessed with measuring my own stuff and I have full control over my own process. And there's still some sports um, where I'm not 100% sure I'm a winning player. I've been lucky enough to win in every sport. Um, but there's a few. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not totally clear. So, like, imagine you are a medium player. Maybe you, you put in a few thousand dollars a month, and you try one of these tools, and you are, you know, you're, you're really putting it to the test and, and trying to create simulated fields. And it's, you know, you're not hitting anything. How do you know you've been getting unlucky versus the tool's not? good versus you're not using the tool well. I think it's very difficult to tell. Um, and and I, I, I believe that, you know, all of the people I've interacted with from companies that are trying to create these tools are trying to create good tools. Um, I don't think there's any, any like, you know, they're, they're releasing substandard stuff to like weaken the, nothing, nothing crazy like that, but I don't know how good they are um 
and I think I think that's a genuinely hard problem. And if if you're a rel if you're a small to medium sized player and you're you're paying a monthly subscription and you're not getting anywhere, which is still the most likely outcome, right? If if you're playing a few thousand dollars in GPPs, even if you're really good, you're probably not going to win for a pretty long time, um, unless it's you know, ten cent maybe a ten cent and 150 max, you might have a shot. But so most of these people, I'm just imagining the experience. They subscribe to one of these things. They make a good faith effort to get the most out of the tool, and they're losing a lot of money. Like I feel like that's going to be the the default experience, just because of the way these contests are. So it'll be curious to see how many people stick with it. Um, I mean, isn't that the default experience with anything? Of course, yeah. DFS, Any, I mean, it, yeah. it's one of the main things that I constantly, you know, when I get questions and, dude, I, I, there, there was a, there, I, I think in the Blitz chat, and a good faith person, I didn't, I'm not, he's not one of the, you know, the stupid people or anything, you know, asking about like, like, oh, I used, I, I used the, has anyone hit it big with the Blitz projections at all so far this season? Like, <laughs> And and I and I and I said I just I want to put things into perspective. It's like that's like going to the bat chat, and on April fourth, yep. saying how did, did no one's hit it big with the bat with like because I could tell the sense of the question is like are these projections even good because I don't I didn't see a screenshot of someone winning yeah. a ton of money, and it's like that sometimes the realization is that the or when someone comes to me and says like oh I I haven't I haven't I've been, I've lost in G I, I play 20 line. I play the 20 max and I've lost every day for three weeks. And I go, congratulations. You may be one of the greatest DFS players in the world. And yeah. they don't understand what that means. And I go, yeah, because what is your actual expectation? Like the whole, the, all the equity is first place. So like the types of, like you, you said the types of people that this tool could most benefit I think are the types of people that don't get those statistical concepts of yeah of like of like no you're like yeah even if you're playing a thousand person field if everyone was equal you're gonna win first place one every thousand times I mean like 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 what do you expect an NFL when like oh I I haven't it's it's week eleven and they're like I've lost in GPP I played the three max even if it's smaller fields play three max or whatever so that I I've lost money for eleven weeks. For or or ten weeks or so, I go, I go. Yeah, I've lost. I I've lost in GPP for a week and a half in baseball before. I mean, like, like once you put into not a time perspective, it's like, like I've been playing uh, NFL DFS since 2017. I think that was the first time because I played soccer, then MLB, then stuff. Uh, I think main slates. I have less than 90 main slates. Of, mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's like that's. That's what half a season of baseball. That's a half a season yeah. of NBA, maybe or something I, I like have that. A, I have a few dozen, a few dozen main slates. Yeah, right. So, it, like, it, how much you say with the data concern of like, especially NFL. Yeah, NFL. Like, harder. especially because that's the number one. You know, everyone you plays NFL. It's like, how the hell do you test? How could you be sure of it? Like, like Daniel, since DFS has existed on DraftKings, where you could download the CSVs or whatever like that. Do you even think there's a reasonable, even enough slates of data for regular size slates that could you, 
Could you even say if you're a good player or not? I think you just have to put a confidence interval on it. Um, I don't know what that number would be. Um, not that great with stats. I, I suspect there are people who've been playing long enough to know whether they're with with pretty high confidence that they're plus EV. Um, but it, I mean, I made a similar point in the in the bat Discord once where, and I wasn't bragging. I was just because someone was making a similar complaint about not winning. I'm like. You know, I play more volume in MLB in a day than most of the people play in a month and some play in a year on in baseball. And I have losing days all the time. So if I can have a losing day, that means you can have a losing season. And it right. doesn't mean, right, that doesn't mean that you're a bad player. You might be, but you might be a very good player. Um, but, I mean, it's funny you bring up NFL. NFL is so is so hard, I think you have the small sample sizes and I think it's really quite difficult to simulate. Well, I've, I've tried so many, so many different methodologies and thrown out almost all of them. Um, and th this is one of the areas where I think I'm not especially good um, because there are so many like properly weighting all of the game scripts that could happen giving them appropriate probabilities, trying to figure out what coaches are going to do. Like there's a lot of subjective data that makes it quite difficult. And so I kind of take the most general agnostic approach that I can. That's that's roughly correct. But I think it's, it's very hard to do it well. Um, so it, like how do you even measure that your NFL simulations are accurate, right? Like it's a legitimately thorny problem. Like how often should tonight's Monday Night Football end in a game script where this happens and then, you know, this happens versus some other game script? Like that matters a lot. Um, and it's really quite, I think it's quite difficult. Um, so it may, it just, it's quite, it's quite humbling if you actually take a crack at this stuff, <laughs> really get in there. Um, it's, it's hard. And I think, so the NFL is a, a dual problem. You've got the small sample size and you've got a, a game that's very hard to simulate and test over time. Not, not just for mean means and medians and floors and ceilings. Like that's a little easier because, but, but that's not enough because we care so much about game scripts and outlier outcomes, especially in things like showdown, like, um, yeah, how, can can you dive into? Uh, I've been told, I've been told that these types of products, these types of tools, will essentially kill showdown and MMA, small golf, and I mean truthfully, I've looked at some MMA stuff. Uh huh. It's compared to two years ago hmm. lineups that we're going to be less duplicated or more duplicated now. Like mm -hmm. by, 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 uh, by a small factor, by li yep. lineups that I would originally would have predicted to be three are now fives and sixes. Ones uh -huh. that were predicted to be ones or twos predicted ones to be eights or twelves. And ones that were predicted to be like 374 are now like 206, like, like kind yep. of like it's, it's coming off and, People said, like, as long if you have, obviously, the these 
for the main slate for simulations, yeah. like duplication of full lineups is not like the biggest of concerns, but yeah. you you but the combinatorics, I mean, like whistles, like if you go to someone like whistles, whistles would say that ownership doesn't you know, of individual players don't matter as much as combinations of players matter. And that's yeah. why you could see lineups that win GPPs that have a fairly chalky high projection, but are being played at a much lower combinatoric rate of like, yeah, you have these five players. It's just that most people don't have all five. They have two and they have threes, but they don't have the five or they, or they, yeah, these two people are chalky, but anyone that's playing these two are typically playing these two wide receivers and you're not playing the, yep. you're playing the second lower, lower projected one, like stuff like that matters. Now, obviously in MMA and showdown, I mean, that gets to the extreme example. Well, how do you think, do you think, based on what you see, are the tools able to better, are they showing the EV based on any form of duplication in that matter? And secondly, if they get to that, if they are at that point, don't we get into the problem, even in large field GPPs, that you get that pirate stack problem of like, yeah, yeah, this lineup should be unique, but since everyone could see that it's going to be unique, it's actually going to be duped four or five times. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think MMA and Showdown are a really good bellwether for where the industry is with simulations and how much, how many people are going to play it because those games. I mean, how well, did you simulate that? First off, how did you simulate that the three fight? I mean, you, I mean, truthfully. I mean, take a look at your last MMA win. Yep. That, like, you simulate stuff out. It's not like you're like, oh yeah, this three fight, uh, this this three round fight is going to be like the you need to stack in order to get unique and win first solo. Like, it's your programming that just goes through all of that type of stuff. Yeah. That, like, something like a, even that that's the type of thing that even people that have more advanced processes almost weed out. Right, like yeah like you don't you don't really other than the main event stack like it's almost like you i mean i don't even consider those lineups right yeah and, i got i got lucky there i i think it's interesting so i am quite um the one thing i'm quite fundamentalist about is i never override what my process does like i never get in there and edit anything Right. If you don't I have don't any like... hardcore hold, it, uh, the, one of the most frustrating things about like DFS players that you know get into the game or are trying to get better is they want rules. Yeah. And a lot of times, like they're they're really there are heuristics, but there really are no rules. Like, do you have to do that? Oh, don't stack, don't stack a three round fight. It's like, yeah. Well, there are outcomes where a three round fight ends up being optimal. Yep. Is it most likely? No. Could you find lineups that are profitable without doing that? Yes. So heuristically, if you don't have a process of knowing which three round fight stacks are worth playing, it's yeah. probably better off because you look at the two jars of like plus EV lineups. I always say during the morning show is like, well, here, here's the jar of plus EV lineups that don't have a three round fight stack. And here's the jar that does. This jar has a whole bunch of lineups. So if you want yep. to reach your hand in, this yeah. has a whole bunch of bad lineups and there's a couple in there. Do you really want to re reach your hand in and try to figure out which one is the the, the right Marvel? 
If you don't yeah, have process, I think, maybe you don't you look at the other jar. No, I totally agree. And almost everybody plays pretty exploitatively to begin with, I think. That's that's sort of the default style. Um and given that if there's some weird thing that a good rule of thumb is serving you well 95% of the time, I can't imagine you're you're giving up much just making it a rule and doing it 100% of the time, right? Because there, if you're a good exploitative player, you don't need to reach into the weird jar because there's so many other things you could grab for, right? Um, my rule for my process is I don't have any rules. Like if, if my process is spitting out stuff that's weird and losing, I need to fix my freaking process. Like I can't. How do you I'm, determine I'm not, if it's weird? How do you determine? Well, if that's it's weird? A, yeah, that's <laughs> a, that's a, going back to the are you a genius or are you are you an idiot question when you know you come up with something really new that nobody's doing. Uh, it's either great or it's there's a reason nobody's doing it. I think um, <laughs> it sort of reminds me of uh, of your comment about. Uh, I was watching one of your shows and you were talking about, you know, getting good, good line value early. And then if the line moves away from you, it's more likely than not that you fucked up. It's not right. like the it's urge to chance, pile on more. That, right. But a lot of this people is not do an that opportunity because... to get even more money. Yeah. Right. Right. So for the problem, I, I, like... I feel very. <laughs> Yeah, I feel very similarly for for certainly for post lock sims. Like, this is where you just simulate the field um, using your own athlete simulations. Like, I have some sports where, you, well, you would expect me to be near the top because it's using my own stuff, right? So I'm either at the top or very close to the top. But usually, you know, if I have a good process. I'll see other familiar names up there. Some of them are close to me, maybe a little above or below. Those guys are probably doing something roughly similar or using similar projections. And then you've got some other players I know are quite strong who rate plus EV, but maybe a little lower down because they're using a different projection set, but they're obviously quite skilled. Like that's a good sign. If I have a new sport and like my EV for this contest is plus $5,000 and the next one below it is like plus $800. Like I fucked up, <laughs> right? There is, that's too far. Um, that's too far of a difference. And it means that there's something biased or just flat out wrong in terms of my, my athlete Sims. And it's a sign. So I actually don't want to be at the top in all my post-lock Sims. If it's a, competitive sport because that's a sign that I've gone too far off uh, the reservation as it were. Um, and I have some but, sports but that's, that kind I, of the, that's kind of the opposite though, of people that would say that it should be like, you should be the highest in your Sims. But I, I think your goal is to be the highest in your own post lock Sims within reason of other people reason. that are also sharp. Correct. And if you're not the highest, highest, like, that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just means that, like, hey, if you're if you're number three, yeah. two star players like that, to me, that heuristically makes more sense. Yeah. Right. It's and very and I do that, that prop example of like, like, dude, if you bet if you bet the the over on something and it moves four yards against you, 
That's not yeah. an opportunity for you to go, well, now I got it at a four yard discount. Let me dump twice as much money into it. It's most yeah. more likely that the your source of truth and your projection initially is somehow off. And maybe it's time to either that to try to try to win your money back and by finding something else than doubling down on, on a mistake that you've already made. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I, it is, it is really interesting. I have looked at some sports where there are people who consistently do a little bit better than me in post-contest sims. And I've learned a lot uh, just trying to figure out what they're doing differently, uh, what they're doing better. So it's also, you know, it's sort of lights a fire under, under me to improve my process. So um, always trying to, trying to improve things, but. Are you looking at the, are you looking at the, the ROI numbers post-lock as a portfolio or individualized lineups? I do both. Um, I find, for, well, I, I find a lot of different things for a lot of different sports, but yeah, I do, I do both. Um, and it, I do, I do learn things that way. Um, because from the, po from the post-lock stuff that I've seen, the post-contest stuff that I've seen, I, I think, I don't know who brought it up on Twitter. Maybe it's Nelson Adcock, right? Uh -huh. he, does, he does stuff. And he says, he or whoever, maybe I'm, I'm misattributing it, says that in, mo in many 150 set, 150 max sets, yeah. the, EV of the, the EV of the entire portfolio, the ROI of the entire portfolio, is typically concentrated to a small subset of lineups and the rest are in post contest actually are negative. Right. Uh -huh. But that the, the problem is like you mentioned before of you build the 150 to find the 25 that are heavily plus EV. Yeah. And most people would say, well, why don't you just play the heavily <laughs> 25? The problem is, is that there's like no that. way of knowing which of the 25 are, but they're confident that if they build 150, that they do get 25 of those. And it's very similar to even my approach of when, you know, I may not play 150. I may play 75. I may play 50. And I go, I'm, I'm, I'm fine that, you know, 10, 15 of my lineups may end up really not, not, they won't be bad, but they, they won't be good. Maybe they will be, maybe in MMA, they will be duped 22 times. Maybe. Yeah, but, I, but I'm hopefully making up for the fact that my top ten, my top fifteen, are really good. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that, and I do find that in my own Sims, where like a typical, I'm making up numbers a little bit, but it's in the in the ballpark. So I'll do a post contest sim of like the big baseball GPP, and basically the bottom. So if my 150 set, the bottom 40 lineups or so are basically break even. So the worst ones are losing money. And then it's like, I need to get through like 40 lineups before I start winning money because the bottom ones are losing. And then a few are winning a little bit of the money back. And by the time to get to lineup 50 or so, now I'm actually winning. And then like you said, like the top 10 lineups I have are a lot more plus EV than the other plus EV ones. Um, and in fact, one of the things I learned looking at another strong player, I won't say what, what sport or who it is, but um, I found that the the main reason he was doing better than me in my post-contest sims 
our top lineups were actually pretty similar. It's just he'd done a better job of not having the worst lineups in his portfolio. And that mostly explained the difference. So our best lineups had similar EV and he had fewer of the of the bad ones than I did, which I thought was kind of interesting. The, on, on, that, on, that, on that regard, <laughs> that's the, the opposite approach that sometimes I see when I when I look at CSVs. There are there are some quote unquote top players. I'm always using sharp and because then the people are like, oh well, he sucks. And this guy like right. But I mean competitive. I, I use competitive, but yeah, I know what you mean. Right. Competitive people. Sometimes their portfolios are like heavily weighted towards the not like towards the other side. Uh-huh. Like like they they'll play 150 and the EV of their top 25 or whatever is not all great to write home about, but the EV of their bottom 25 is better than break EV. Like it's uh-huh. kind of in this in this zone where as a portfolio that I could see how almost I don't want to call it a cash game approach, uh-huh. but like I, I've I've analyzed some stuff in 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 MMA. There are some users like we we know who they are, right? There's some users that they'll play 150 and have like 147 uniques, mm-hmm. and then I'll look at some of these lineups and go, I don't even like. It's like all outlier lineups of like yeah, like these are like on a slate with big favorites that are leaving. 2,500, 3,000 on the table. And I'm like, I'm not sure if the portfolio is how, how often do these things happen that all they need is one. Right. Uh-huh. And here's 150 versions. Cause it's that extreme example of like, yep. you'd take a look at a, at a contest post lock Sims. And he'd go, yeah, these five, these three or four lineups, five lineups heavily because like they could win solo first and no one else happened to play that lineup. Right. And then the next 145 are like losing like twice the rake, right? Like yeah. it's like like that type yep. of separation as it goes down. But there's also people that play. You see a 150 set number of uniques, 12, under yep. fives, 36, whatever. And then you run post contest sims, and the ROI actually ends up being positive as uh-huh. a portfolio, even though like. Half the lineups are like actually small losers. Yeah. Right. But like a third of the lineups win like three X. Right. So it's like you could put this in. And when you win, you're probably duping 68 times with one lineup. You're duping 43 times with another lineup. But you dupe and you you win enough of the time and you have enough of those lineups that you still end up with, you know, a three to five percent ROI. Anyway, even though you never, you'll these portfolios never win like fifty or a hundred thousand dollars outright, or even uh-huh. win like with a five weight shop or anything. But the portfolio is still showing a positive, still showing a positive return. It's a lower return than the than the opposite approach. Just the opposite approach. The variance is absurd. Like you'll just lose for a year straight, like yep. down, 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 down until you win it big, uh, and you end up winning more money in the process. But these do you do you feel do you, do you see I mean because I'm just looking just I'm doing very rudimentary shit so it's like no. to me like it doesn't I'd have no precise way of really just like I'll run some stuff in Excel and go based on all of this it's like oh yeah that's supposed to win X amount of time based on these odds and whatever and I'm like oh this, this may actually be 
Like this wins enough of the time that a 42 way dupe is not like the end of the world. You'd rather it just be duped 20 times, but like it actually does show a profit there. Yeah. Do you think that there's that, especially in showdown and MMA, there seems to be this like tribalism of like, like the, like the people that like, you gotta be unique. And the people are like, let's, let's, let's uh, celebrate with our 63 friends. As long as we win that, like neither of them absolutely is like right or wrong, but there is a right way of both like playing all six underdogs, you know, with leaving 8,000 on the table and all your lineups probably wrong yep. and also playing the top 150 duplicated lineups probably wrong also yeah there's plenty of ways to screw up but there's there's also different ways to win right i think an extreme example of where um duping uh being highly duped is profitable i had a i think it was last nfl season and i played a single game nfl contest i can't remember if it was actually the super bowl or, or close to it and it had, I think it had like a million entries. And I tied first with like several hundred people. And it was $10,000 payout. And there's an example with the heuristic I think is wrong. Because I actually, you can you can quibble with my, my sim. But you can imagine how it could be the case that, and I found that however many hundreds of people duped, it was actually under-owned. It should have been duped at like double the rate that it was duped at. Even so, even though it was massively duped, it was such a gigantic field that it was still profitable to to play that lineup on average. Um, so I think I think simple rules of thumb for duping and not duping might not be the most the most useful. I think it sort of comes down to like what style of play do you want? Do you want to shoot for solo first, um, and how much variance are you willing to eat? Um, I think. And then it gets back to your point of like, okay, well, once you have that choice made, like how unique, how many unique-ish lineups do you want versus other stuff? Then it becomes a question about like, how do you do that strategically? And, and what are the ways of coming up with an intelligent portfolio? Because as you point out, there's bad ways to do to do both of those uh, for sure. Do you, think but, these um, sim, do you think these SIM tools, publicly available ones, will solve well so i don't want to call it solve but help you with those types of decisions like the those risk risk reward decisions of a portfolio because there's a there's a difference between what is the ev of a lineup yeah. and what is an ev of a lineup portfolio and i think that people that use optimizers incorrectly with exposures mm. tend to mix up the two they mm -hmm. go like like they think exploitative means I'm going to be 30% of the field over a 15% guy, regardless of what their individual lineups look like. Cause those yeah. individual, you can be there over. Yeah. You're over the field and all those lineups are all bad. Right. Right. You could be under the field and all those lineups are great. Other than the fact that why aren't you playing this other guy in it? Because it would be much better in those lineups. to just play the higher projected guy. Cause you already built a good enough lineup as it is. So they get involved in that type of stuff that, and they come up with these portfolios that, like, you could see that, like, well, maybe only 20 of the lineups are even worth playing. And the other 130, like, are weighing you down so much because you're using the tools wrong. Do yeah. you think that that from a sim perspective of, 
I want to build a portfolio. Like, imagine instead of simulate, like, here are lineups, and it's like, no, I want to, I want a portfolio. I want to divert. Imagine NFL, right, or MLB, right? MLB probably easier because we have stacks and stuff like that. Yeah. Let's say in MLB, you're like, uh, I want to play twenty lineups, and I want to you to the sim the sim tool based on my projections and ownership. Obviously, you have to put in the inputs or change them or whatever. And it says, okay, I want 20 lineups. And uh, there's some some slider or something, some type of way of measuring risk, your risk profile. Yeah. And then it also like how much to like, oh, I want to, I want to, I want to only play five, five teams, right? Five, five man. I, I only want to play five stacks, right? And then give me, then give me a, a mix of, Anything else, as long as I'm only playing, I I only want to root for five teams today, right? Uh-huh. Or or I only want to I I only want I give me, I only want to, pirates lineups, and it's like oh, then you're getting probably getting the two chalk pitchers in most of those lineups in order for that to be worthwhile, like stuff like this where instead of people having to figure out like exposures that they could put they could simulate and go hey. It's very similar to what I what I do here bluntly. By I have a whole set, I I build a whole ton of lineups, and I narrow that down to like a candidate set of X two hundred. I'm like, I want to play fifty of these, and I know that the ones on the bottom are more risky, and the ones on the top are are you know chalkier or whatever like that. And I go, well, I'm going to play. If I'm playing twenty, I play five from here, five from here, five from here. Like I like bands of risk. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll I'll get a Desmond Ritter stack, but I'll also get a Kirk Cousins stack. I mean, I'll 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 get a mix of both. I mean, a tool like I mean, I'm assuming that that the portfolio dynamics of weighing that EV realization to not have it that like, oh, these are all 80% ROI lineups and they're all like yeah. one shot to win. It makes it easier on the person, even if they don't understand that, to be like, like, you know, what you know, what percentage of your bankroll are you playing? What do you like? And yeah. it kind of protects, even for the people that don't understand it, may end up protecting themselves from themselves. Yeah, I think it'd be good in, in product development. It sounds like a good idea. I, I certainly think if, if you're playing volume, so I don't, I don't, I generally don't have to consider these things as much because, you know, my style of play sort of, gives me diversity by default. Um, so it kind of takes care of itself. But if you're a highly exploitative player, and I think a lot of really good players are, like, it's certainly not enough to use one of these tools and say, oh, here are the 20 top ROI lineups. Well, they might be top ROI lineups, but they're not anymore if you play all of them because they're too correlated with each other. So if you played one of them or maybe three of them, you're good. By the time you play the 18th, you're, you're vulturing so much equity from yourself with the correlation that it's not a top ROI lineup anymore. So in that case, if I were to use it's, it's also tool, just, just to interrupt you for a second, yeah, it's also the case that if you're using this tool and you're sitting, let's say you're sitting next to someone else uh, yeah. that's using the same tool and they're both going, well, these are the top 20 ROI lineups. And you go, well, I, I know, I know that these are two risky lineups that if I'm, if I'm the only one playing them, like these are good. So I'm only going to take like four of them. Uh-huh. Who knows if the person sitting next to you is sticking the same thing and takes the same four or takes the, 
like you get the the effect of like yeah like the the same thing occurs also with that as well yeah it's like it's two versions of the eating your own tail you can literally eat your own tail or your friends sitting Someone next to you can hear you to your tail also um so yeah all of those all of those considerations matter so i think and the real question i think will be like how much adoption of these tools do we get when that starts to become a problem where too many like because it's it's basically one level above the field is what you're doing they're like i i have a good guess of what the field is doing and i'm going to take one step ahead of them to get the ROI lineups. But if enough people are taking that same step, then it's self-defeating. And now you have to start doing other things to get isn't different already... from the other people exploiting the field, right? Yeah, but isn't Is that it... already happening to some degree? Like, like if you took the names off of usernames and everything like that, and yeah. you have other people like yourself that are doing these, pro like someone like Brian, someone like, like Ricky D, someone like whoever, yeah. are already doing this type of stuff like it's not a publicly facing tool but aren't like aren't you if you're if you're calculating these lineups to be plus cv you have to assume that other that all these other 150 maxers if they were using the same information or uh -huh. similar reasonably same would come to those same conclusions isn't that in some degree already happening your your guys is is it going to be to the point where average Joes and people that put in twenties and forties, like I do, like, are they going to be enough more of that? Like what, what I said about the slant in the NFL, the slant in the NFL was a great contest when it was 65,000 entries and only 23% yeah. were 150 maxers. Now that it's 18,000 entries and 57% are 150 maxers. Now it's not worth me playing. Like is you're acting on, is it going to turn from that to that? Yeah. So, so I guess like, like like it's not it's not just that oh individually if everyone had their own individual sim tool everyone would like imagine no one came out with any of these sim products yet you developed personally and you reached out to 50,000 people and said I'm going to personally develop your own sim tool and everyone's right. using it privately like it's the same thing as it just being available publicly. I mean like well, there's there's two related, but I think slightly different things worth worrying about here. So the, the first one I think is easier to talk about, which is if there's enough people doing the same things, then that that is sort of a disequilibrium and can be exploited. So that's why I was talking about sort of th these tools being like one level above what, what we think the field is going to do. But... And I think I think Travis was on a on a podcast talking about he's like bring on the Sims it's it's gonna lead people to do brain the over same Sims dude brain over yeah. Sims it's gonna lead people down the same I mean I'm paraphrasing what he's saying but it's gonna like lead people down the same like strategic cul-de-sacs and he'll be able to exploit that and that's true if if these tools or the people using them are or remain relatively unsophisticated then yes however it's not in no way uh is that like a foregone conclusion because i spent a lot of time trying to avoid specifically this problem um because i think it does exist for at least a subset of high volume players where they they galaxy brain themselves into the same places as other players and they 
collectively lower their EV by doing that. Whereas I, I try to avoid that altogether by, you know, using different techniques to randomize my play, um, which is one of the reasons I don't have as many diversity concerns as, as a lot of players, because I, I kind of get that for free. So it it's not clear to me long term. So th so the the first thing to worry about is, you know, getting stuck in a strategic cul-de-sac and you know, actually losing money with these so-called plus EV lineups because too many people are doing the same thing. But the other problem is if enough people are balanced enough as a group, like, and the, the ratios of, just to use baseball because it's easy, the ratios of stack ownership roughly match how often they should hit, then it doesn't matter anymore because the game is too efficient. And this is this is where I think Travis could be wrong. If it goes in that direction, then it doesn't matter um, what he does. I don't even know if he probably doesn't even play baseball. I'm just, I don't know why I picked on him. But um, if if the field is is close enough to equilibrium, then it, it you can't you can't beat it after the rake. Like that's so if these tools lead there, then that means you know you everyone's can't win fucked. anymore. Yeah, everyone's then you can't win. It's entertainment only. Which is what it to be fair, what it is for ninety percent of people, but it's it, there won't be any any profitable players anymore at that point, and I I think I suspect that's inevitable, and I have no I am a shit at I am shitty at predicting the future. I have no idea when when that day will come or at which levels and which games, but I think that is sort of the end state for just profitable DFS play is when there's enough people playing close enough to efficient that the rake is unbeatable. I think that's that's the end game. I mean, isn't that the, very similar to poker? Yeah, I think so. I think poker, I mean, as you have pointed out, like, and I think I have no reason to suspect it would be any different for DFS, but if you're playing low stakes DFS or poker, I don't see any reason why those games won't be profitable forever, right? If you're playing one two, are you playing three dollar contests? Like, that's always. I feel like that's always going to be profitable because there's always just going to be a lot of players who do not care. It's just entertainment, and those contests are large enough that they, and limited, so that you know highly successful players can't play them. I think if you like to play DFS and you want to be profitable, like I feel like you're safe um, at those at those levels, and I, I just. I can't see how that would ever go away. I you think mean, it's, you're not going to pay two hundred dollars a month to max out the quarter arcade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. Uh, right, you're going to pay for a sim tool and then play seven dollars and fifty cents worth of volume a day. It's probably not, not the yeah. thing. But I'm talking about like poker wise. I mean, I coming from the background that you know you built solver software for poker that. One of the things in the, uh, in the poker community recent or maybe recently, not recently or whatever, so I I follow I I follow some poker people. Oh, uh, me too. Is this this whole the GTO debate of like you know of GTO versus exploitative? I know Galfond as you know I'm I'm more on Phil's side with this. Is that that bubble that like you mentioned the strategic cul-de-sac, right? Yeah. And it's like, I listen to some of these, I watch some of these videos, I listen to some podcasts, and 
it I feel as if as someone that plays two five five ten no limit hold them live, mm-hmm. I I go, I, I I look at some of the, the situations that there are discussed. They'll they'll do hand strategy, you know, walking through a hand and go, and they'll go with with Pio Solver or whatever. I use yeah. I use Poker Cruncher for my equity calculations. So like like I'll have Poker Cruncher. Like I'll I'll take a break, go to the bathroom, get something to eat, and like on a recent hand, I'll be like punch this into poker cruncher, but like, I'm not you. I'm the range that it gives me for my opponent is not commensurate with the game that I'm playing. And I'm going, well, this is the amount of times that my opponent should have X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, he doesn't have aces. He doesn't have Kings. He doesn't have ace King suited. He does like, and it's like, well, uh, why are you taking that? Like that would be his balanced range of like, like, like this dude will never flat call with aces pre-flop. Like, will ne- this guy will never do that. So I could just take that. Like, there's stuff that people never do. Like, or almost never do. I don't have to... Dude, I'm playing it... Even at 510, it's very... 510 live. It's rare for me to find uh, a check raise bluff on the river. Uh-huh. To be... Like, that's such an under bluff spot. Mm-hmm. that if you have a bluff catcher, just fold. Yeah. Like you're just gonna be you're gonna print just by folding because on average, unless you really, really know the person and they really know you like these are things that just never they rarely so never happen. But on the on the situations that happen often, most of the time the solver will tell me to do something that is less profitable mm-hmm. in my games. So sure. a lot of times we have these small bets, right? They'll go, oh. It's five ten. You raise to they you raise to they want you to raise the solver says raise to twenty five. Most of the time I raise to thirty five. Why? Because most people in live games, if they're going to call twenty five, they're going to call thirty five. And you know what? My raising range gets much tighter because yep. I'm going to get called by much weaker hands. Like once you start, once you put the nodes into these solvers, and I go, yep. I put in my own like live play environment, like. It, it suggests like, oh, on the fl- you got top pair on the flop, bet twice the size of the pot because you're up against a range with a calling frequency that's going to call way too often right. with like a draw, either a, 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 a naked draw or or we, a top pair we kicker or even second pair and a flush draw. Like, like, and, but if you went through, if you if you went to videos on YouTube or anything like that. They would think that you're nuts of like, oh, this is the, oh, this, this board hits, you know, you have the range advantage and the nut advantage and you, it, they don't, they can't have these certain hands because you block top pair and you should only be betting like $15 <laughs> more often. And I'm like, you're not in these games where, where dude, yeah. I'm in games where they're, they're half, half the table bomb top pair, like bot, like, but like, like they're betting pot size, but they're they're Cause they're, yep. Trying to protect their protect hand. The hand. Yeah. And I'm just overfolding in a lot of spots where like I have ace little suited or something, and you're not know, calling out of the big blind, and some guy is swinging hard on an ace high flop, and I just muck it. Yep. The and best like, thing about that situation is uh they feel happy with the outcome. Right. Even though right. they even give the they give up by they're giving up EV by not betting half pot some of the time. And 
Right. Like that there it's too exploitable. Yeah. I mean or, this or, is just or another or another exploit in in live poker that isn't showcased in solvers enough is that uh is I make so much money catching bluffs on the river because people don't understand how many hands I'm leaving them to bluff at the river uh-huh. that sometimes I sometimes I call, I I make more money checking the turn than betting mm-hmm. the turn. Like sure. and in some of these games where you bet the flop, they call, and you have a, like a a quality top pair type of hand, and then on on when on a dry board where you're not susceptible to, you know, it's a it's a it's a static board, not a dynamic board. I check the turn. I, I'll check the turn first to act. They'll check behind me, or or like uh, uh and then they'll they'll or I'll check behind on the turn and they bluff the river because, mm-hmm. like they called me with like third pair. And a gut shot draw, and now they're on the river, and they know that they can't win. And then a lot of times people bluff too much. Yep. Like they bluff. Yeah, too I mean, much. right. So like these things are not in solve. They solvers that you could like buy, like the preloaded shit is like this yeah. is how rational people play. But until you like adjust that to your actual environment, like the the shit is like completely off. And it gets back to how poker with the equilibrium in poker, like, yeah, these tools assume a much more equilibrium. Like, how does the tool not assume much more rationality into the field as the field will actually do? Because I look at some right. of these these projected fields and I go, I go, this looks way too logical. Right. That when I download the CSV, like like yeah, maybe individual player ownership. It's like yeah, this guy did come in at twenty one percent owned, but the lineups that he's in, like half of these lineups are nowhere near the lineups that are being played like that. And it still gets back to, I'd love i'd 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 love to be wrong, but it's hard for me in my brain without doing it the precise way that you do it. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to think that that it doesn't get exponentially that. The, the outcomes output out of the simulations doesn't get exponentially worse the more and more that the no matter how big the stew is that you're not getting the right pieces of the stew unless let me use the caveat like we mentioned before unless your attitude is I'm going to play 150 lineups and I'm not sure what ones are good or what ones are bad but I'm quite positive I'll get 25 to 50 of them good. Like if you're not coming from that approach, I can't see how the, the, how you could just go by the basis. I'm going to go and play like, I'm going to play five lineups out of this and just one of them may be good. I mean, like, well, I think that there's an, there's an easy way around that particular problem. Your last thing first is that you can just pretend you're playing a large set, like, and then you, you pick a bunch of different looking lineups and then you pull them out of a hat. Um, on that's average, kind of what I do. that is what yeah. That on average, you that's exactly the same as just playing all of them, right? Like pick, picking a random subset. No, you know, not. Yeah, but how do you tell? How do you, how do you tell people this? <laughs> yeah, I. So I mean, this is all just back to the whole exploitive versus versus balance. I think. I think poker. This the the analogy with poker and DFS does break down because I think. In low-level poker, you just have so many more opportunities in the course of a hand to make decisions that are obviously better than whatever the 
the equilibrium strategy would be. Um, whereas I think the biggest exploits in, in low limit DFS are quite obvious. It's just play the best players. Don't, don't play terrible projected lineups and don't play the mega chalky lineup constructions. Like those are the, like, and just to be clear that the, the, the second thing, the mega chalky lineups, they should be played at equilibrium. Like they are the best, but the exploit is everyone plays them too much. So just don't play those. But I feel like in, in terms of obvious exploits, I think that's 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 most of it. Whereas poker, it's like every spot you have. Like your example of checking back on the turn um, with with a strong top pair on a dry board, like that is almost certainly a play at equilibrium too. It's just against certain opponents, you should do it 100% of the time, right? Because you make so much money from them over bluffing the river mm. uh, that. You just and then certain opponents, the you do the complete opposite. hundred, you bet the right. turn hundred percent of the time. Right against and then other you opponents. Check back the river because at that they point, with the worst they're hand. never going to call with the worst hand, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yep. So I think, I think the multi-stage nature of poker makes it very different. I I talked to a, a guy who used to play extremely high-level poker, and he said he regretted, and he was very much. Um, interested in in equilibrium strategies and figuring and studying them to get better, and he said he regretted not playing more exploitatively than he did. Um, that that was one of his his poker regrets, which I thought was kind of interesting. Dunk but I um, like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think, um, yeah. I mean, I used to I used to play sort of like, like when I first talked to you, like I, I tried to play pretty much exclusively what I thought was, was a balanced approach. Um, but I, so has, know, that, has that changed? Do you, I, well, I'm not going to say that. Regret? Do you all go along with that regret of like, no, like maybe I, I should be playing more exploitatively. Uh, I won't say too much there. I'll, I'll just say that so I oh, never so this say this is the line you won't cross. No, no, this, no. This no, is, no, this no, is the line. I, I've, I've said all I could say. <laughs> no, I will just say that. Well, I, I don't, I don't ever like lie to try and confuse my opponents. It's also true that things that used to be true about my process might not be true anymore. Like, I'm always tweaking and improving and changing things. So, um, thing things change, and uh, I think. If you're going to be good at any, you know, gambling endeavor, you can't, you can't just be a, you have to keep improving because the direction is always for these things to get more efficient and tougher to beat. So you better keep improving what you're doing as well. Um, so it's possible that you've changed everything. It's quite possible <laughs> now that you, it's quite possible that you hand build 150 lineups on the toilet. That's that true. That's awesome. true. It, it, well, I mean, I had a funny exchange. So uh, a few weeks ago, I had a ridiculous, a ridiculously good run of luck. So I won the two main tennis GPPs one day after the other. Then I won the king of the baseline, which is like the 100,000 to first tennis thing. It was either the next day or the day after. And then I won the MMA with the, you know, three-man stack. And then the next day I won the MLB, like... 
medium stakes GPP, medium high stakes GPP for like the 777 or something, right? And um, crazy, crazy run. And then online people are like, you know, gosh, you know, Nerdy Tender just seems to win all the time. Like I hear he plays a more balanced approach. Maybe that's better. I'm like, uh, he's like, you know, what are you going to use some money for? And I'm like, you know, a second yacht would be nice, I guess. But <laughs> but what's so funny about that is so many people were taking this as evidence of something good about my process. But it doesn't, like, it was just such a random streak. Like, it didn't mean anything, um, anything at all. And I would just say, you know, would you like to see the four months that came before? Because they... They were not not so hot. I mean, they were okay, but um, so I think it's really easy to to get um, fooled by by randomness. Well, yeah, if you want to use the talent, yeah, right? Because yeah. they, they probably because these people probably thought of like nerdy tenor. He he turned on the switch, like he figured right. it out. He, he figured it out it finally. Out. Yeah, right. Finally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean. It's just a ridiculous run is all. And uh, those go in the other direction. Um, so how, how did your NFL go this weekend? Uh, this past weekend? It, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm doing much more on props. Yeah. yeah. Underdog prize picks that, you know, three days from now, the sports betting is open in Kentucky. So oh, let's see how congratulations. Long, let's see how long I last on these books. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, see how long they keep you. I mean, I've I, I've gone back. I've gone back to basics. Yeah, I've gone back. I've gone. I've gone back to where's where's the money? Where does the money come from? Where's the edges? And yeah. if I have to direct more money, like like dude, the props like are so much. The return versus the variance is just so dramatically skewed in the other direction. Yeah. That like I'm it, it almost feels like I'm playing DFS as like uh as as I don't want to say less lottery tickets. Uh -huh, but it's, but it's like, like the high variance portion of your portfolio. Right, right. It's yeah. like like my like 80 plus percent, like that whole 80-20 yep. thing, right? The old school way of thinking of DFS. Uh -huh. Just that 80% is just in like is in props and sports betting. Yep. And then 20% is like, okay, I'm gonna play, I'm not gonna play a hundred lineups. I'm like this two game slate coming up tonight. I'm gonna, I'm playing like the th the th I'll play twenty lineups in the three dollar twenty max. That is forty k to first. Yeah. And those twenty, and I'm gonna build the highest variance lineups. Like 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 bankroll concerns or no no cons like dude risky. And then I have five. I'll five into the twenty dollar mill the milli. So like I have like yeah. two hundred and fifty dollars in play. Right. But, I have more money. I have more money in play on the outcomes of the receiving yards in the game uh -huh, than I do yeah. in DFS. So it's like the DFS is kind of like I'm gonna build the best lineups I can, and if I get zero back, that's fun. it's almost no. It's not. It's not as big of a deal. But I'm not yeah. reliant. Like I, I'm no longer reliant on like can I hit one or two GPPs a year to make my nut and make the profit, because it's just like the yeah. props that I'm doing. It's just it's just like am I making a ton? Remember, you know. I'm like yeah. one of the. It seems like I'm one of the few people that I'm, I'm, pr I'm proud to be, kind of a little bit on the nittier side. But it's like, yeah, like like if I if I if I could average three to five thousand a month on on props, like what, 
Yeah. What, what, am I, what am I doing? Like, why why aren't I just putting more money into that than even playing DFS? It's like it gets it's getting to that point of like, like yeah. I'm playing okay. DFS because I enjoy playing DFS, but I'm not looking forward to like like oh I got to play the MLB slate tonight. It's like I like no I I have I have more in strikeout at props and hits allowed props and everything like that, and I don't have to worry like like Daniel. The best part of props is not is not not getting closing line value on, even though that doesn't matter that much on props, the best part, the bet, like it's so much, it's at the play. I played DFS almost eight years. I've been doing props for about a year that anything that happens that isn't involved. One of my players that I've bet on does not fucking matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Aaron judge could hit three home runs at 42% ownership and it doesn't matter. It, it, who cares? Yeah, I come at the who cares from a completely different perspective on NFL Sunday. I think this last NFL Sunday I played like 14 different slates, including all the showdowns and different things and 28 contests. I don't even fucking know what I need. Like, (laughs) I don't know what I need. You tell me. I've got 883 lineups, you know, whatever. Uh, Hopefully something in there. No, I had a small small plus – plus uh, weekend on NFL, but do you play all, the yeah, I, play all the showdowns. I like to, if I can, that the little ones are, are not especially profitable, but I kind of like it just to keep my process in gear. And it, it only takes me like 20 minutes, half an hour to put it together. So actually I won like three out of the nine I played, but there were small, one of them was a unique, um one was duped twice and one was duped like eight times but it was still that that those are what made it plus ev i also started messing with uh super flex so everybody complains about defense and for people who don't know draftings now has uh main slate super flex what's so the, what's the, what do the contest look like I, they look small well i'll tell you first i'll tell the game for the people who don't know it so um you got one quarterback two running backs two receivers a tight end a flex, so any anything but not a quarterback, and then a super flex can be anybody. So no defense, which everybody claims to want. So, you know, I spent a couple of days. It wasn't that hard to 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 modify my classic stuff to get it to do super flex, right? It's not that big of a leap. So I'm like, I'm gonna max this out. I I love it whenever there's a new game, like that. That's sort of really exciting to me. It's like, what can I learn? Like, will my code figure it out? Like. It's an interesting, like, I like games. So I max it out. The first week, um, the max, the, let me, I'll just bring it up. I have it. Uh, so the first week, the the Superflex GP fleet, GPP was um, $10 um, with 11,000 entrants. And the the payout was um, first 20K, place right? was twenty five k. All right. Okay, that's not bad. It overlaid. So guess guess how many people were in in the next week? <laughs> uh, they cut. I, I'm I'm assuming they cut it in half. Correct. So five thousand eight hundred players, and then um, uh, <laughs> they still kept it at ten k to first. Uh, they did uh, 15k to first, okay. and then and then this past weekend, 
Uh, did that, so that, did over that overlay also? Did that fill? It did. It did overlay okay. as well. And then this past weekend, it was um, 4,700 players and uh, I think 10K to first. So for people who like new formats, like DraftKings isn't stupid. You have to actually play it or they won't. They won't keep putting it out there. So I would encourage people. Yeah, to but give it's it a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've told I've I've literally told the people at DraftKings Operations this. Yeah. That, that they did they constantly get in the state. They did this with the NBA late swap stuff also. And I I I, I literally told the head of analytics there. I said uh -huh. that it feels like some of the stuff that you do is outside of the you don't understand user behavior, that you're going. Okay, we would like you to test drive these two cars, right? There, we'd like this to have a poll. Here's this blue Ford Escort, is this blue Lamborghini, and this red Ford Escort, and they mm. go out and test drive. And you go, which car do you like driving? And they go, I, lo I love, I love the blue Lamborghini, and they go back the to Lambo. their right. Go, they're right. And they go, people love blue over red, and it's like, no, they like the Lamborghini over. But like, if they did the Superflex contest and said, said, you know what? Hundred thousand to first, you know, if they had no problem using it as a, like we have to make these look as appealing as our other contests. Yes. In order to test it, people people are not playing it because they don't like Superflex. They're not only playing it because the prize pools suck. Right. right? And they don't. They, some of them don't even know it exists. No, I totally right. agree. Like you have to commit. It's like it's going to be fifty k to first six weeks in a row, and right. then if it keeps overlaying, the word will get out. And, and people will people play. will hop on. Yeah, right. I totally agree. Yep. No, I'm with you. Did you did you find in the Sims my 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 in, intuition would be that you 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 basically double stack. I mean, essentially, yeah. you're, you're giving yourself another quarterback slot to basically play two different teams in the same line. Yeah, I found uh, in the largest one. I can't remember, but yes, mostly it wanted two quarterbacks, and I think. Um, it had double stacks a little more than half the time, single stacks less, but substantial, like 30%. And then a small amount of no stacking actually happened as well. Um, small, but not not tiny. But I, I don't know if my NFL sims are that good. I just, I like new games and I figure all things being equal, I'm going to be better than the field at a brand new game uh, with my methodology. It's just sort of like cocky little gamble there that that my process yeah, is the, good the, enough. The games may go away by, by, the time, by the time. I know that's the thing. Well, if if this had been a major project, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I'm like, it's not it's not that much of a leap uh, to just you know, oh, the lineup looks like this instead of like that. Okay, you know, same stuff. But um, yeah, I had fun with that, and I'm always curious to see what it spits out. It's it's fun to like. Like what's it gonna do? I don't know what it's gonna do. Um, so I, I get a kick out hard, of that. It's hard but... to teach. It's hard to teach people your 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 methods, right? Yeah. Like like that, that's that's one thing. The difference between like like how you couldn't do content that was anything other than you giving up like like your actual code and stuff like that. Because, yeah. Because you 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 basically, I mean, I see you answer questions in the in in, in Discord. And a lot yeah. of times it's like, well, my stuff says this, and do you, and you you would you always preface it with, I would guess this is the reason why, but I can't be sure. Yeah, you don't know. I think any any data based approach, um, 
this, you know, the title to our, our first episode together is going to be a little bit of a black box. So you have to be cautious in interpreting the results. Um, I think I think for for smart players like like you, even if you don't use them, it can be a nice confirmation that you're on the right track. Um, like I, you know, I, I I already talked about why I used biased sims just to make sure, especially in a new sport. Like I'm roughly in the vicinity. I want to see competitive players have good EV in my post contest sims, right? Some, at least a good chunk of them, if not most of them, should should appear at least somewhat plus EV. But um, another one is like it's it's very encouraging when I run something and then what's generated matches some sharp person's style of play in some aspect, like. Oh, I see that you know it's pairing this combo with that, and then I see some other smart people doing similar kinds of things. It, it gives me some comfort um, that I'm not completely, completely uh, off the deep end. Because um, I, I think, yeah, I, think uh, I think that's 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 a misconception that average or below average players have of what what it should come out like. It's very similar to that, like that prop example in the sports betting stuff. That like good good players in DFS are not substantially off the market, right? They're just better than the market. And the same thing for sports betters, where you know I've seen I've seen tweets, I've seen tweets where people post you know their picks, their prop picks or whatever, and they they and they're and they're doing it with some type of projection or anything and their projection on someone's case is like like this this makes this pick a 436 percent roi this is the gold star like like then, then your stuff is off like that that it is yeah. it, what's the chance that you're the only one that sees it and the rest of the market is so far off that if any like you mentioned before if anything you should just kind of disregard almost disregard it be much more skeptical when you see that 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 the the demon in in my prop betting is is the like the ten to fifteen percent edges that may actually end up being zero, right? Like the ones that are twenty to twenty five are more likely to be positive at least. But when I see sixties or seventies, I'm like, who didn't update their projections, right? Like I'm just looking, going, what pitch count is off? What total is wrong or something? Because like there's no way that the market could be that far off, and I think in DFS, people are looking to the fact of like I they would think that like dude Nerdy Tanner and his stuff he would be if he's good enough he should be way different than like so many other people. I go, no, he should actually be closer to other people just on slightly different lineups than like everyone's yeah. going directionally in the same way. Just maybe diversification is a little bit different, or or some. Someone was yeah. more accurate on a certain player on a certain ownership that it made them, oh, they, they actually came closer to actual than the rest of the market did. And that's why they show up a little bit more positive. But then sometimes they're underneath and sometimes they're low. But in the sense of you should see all of these people, like you said, in your post contest Sims as all profitable players in similar directions that you're going. And the more that you're not like what I tell people heuristically of like, if you have no way of doing any of this, download the CSVs, go to results DB, go to whatever. 
compare your lineups to the portfolio of lineups that the 150 maxers are playing. And if you're like, oh, I had to play this guy because he's way under-owned, and then you see that everyone has like 1% or 2% of him, like that's a good sign that you were wrong, right? Like just as just right. heuristically, right? Does your lineup look any – in the type of contest that you're playing, look anything close? Did it project in your projections somewhere close to the average projection of their lineups, to the average ownership? These are very blunt things, but a lot of people have the conception of like, like – I need to do something that no one else is doing. It's like that typically means you're doing something. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. The the only exception to that comes at the individual lineup level. But but as you said before, like it's you don't know in advance which it's going to be. Like I'll run a post-law post contest sim and I have like three wildly profitable lineups. And it, ju it's, it just so happens that those were those constructions were just way on way under owned. But those kinds of things are hard to predict, right? Um, but yeah, at the at the at the aggregate level, um, and and pretty much, I don't tell people what my ROI is, um, but they almost always overestimate it um, when they talk to me, which is not surprising, right? Because you we see, have a 60, you, see you probably wins. have like a sixty-eight percent ROI, right? <laughs> right, right. Of course, sixty-nine yeah. percent. Right. Of course, when I when said same thing when I asked people, it's like oh, I played MLB every day in GPP, one hundred and eighty slates. How many of those? How many think I was profitable on? They always say something that's over like fifty percent of them. And I said it's like yeah, like seven yeah. percent. It's like like you're yeah, not even yeah. close. <laughs> yeah. So what do people say? Numbers like that? Oh, you must be. You must be whatever. Yeah, and you take they a look do. At some people that release their rotor trackers, and you'd see like, you know, Alex like will release his rotor trackers. Like, oh, all of it our year is, is ROI is like two point two percent, right? But it's two point two percent on like millions of dollars, tons oh. and tons of money. Yeah, so I think I think a lot of, a lot of it too comes down to the difference between high stakes, and medium and low stakes because everyone sees the big GPPs, which are the softest. So the outrageous ROIs people sometimes think I make. Are still too high, but closer to correct for the the smaller stuff. But if you need to get down, if you want to make a lot of money and you get down a lot of volume, like the ROIs are not as high when you move up in stakes, right? So, yeah, two two percent of a big number is is a lot of money, right? But um, yeah, I, I see I see high highest ROI and expect exactly the contests. Uh, you would expect it for you know the the giant thirty thousand entry you know fifteen dollar contest is it's all down to the percent of people not taking it seriously and that those have the highest number of of those entrants. So, 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 so your 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 conclusion for all of this is that that people can take away from it that these sim sim tools simulations are. I would say the simulation tools are most useful in smaller field contests. Although the error, the margin of error in the small field contests can be very wide while the usefulness of these tools in large field contests for someone that already is a profitable player is not going to be that dramatic. Like we said before, if you're very unprofitable, Simply just playing not lineups that get spit out of the sim tools would be better than anything else you could possibly do 
Yeah, that's most I of think the that, people that don't typically use yeah. them. But right. I want to like I want I want to make sure that I'm phrasing this that this right that that if you can get ownership accurate in the smaller field stuff, the sim tools are very very useful. It's just it's very hard to do that because being yeah. off by one or two lineups will mean will mean a whole big. So if you go to one of these products and they're like, give me low low small field ownership, like the fragility of that means yeah. a lot in the numbers. Yet the fragility of the large field is isn't as dramatic. So it's well, more, I think I think it's less useful, but it's more reason like the, you could trust the numbers. Well, I don't I don't have a strong take on how much you can trust the numbers because I, I haven't looked at these, so I, I I'm I'm guessing a little bit. But I, it's it's definitely, and I think obviously the case. Your second point has to be true. It gets the the smaller the number of the entrants, the more fragile the um, the field, the simulated field becomes. Where you could you could you could even imagine a case like a hundred man field, uh, where you just nail the ownership at the stack level. Let's let's say you're like they're going to be three pirate stacks and there'll be eight Dodger stacks and you like nail it, but because you get all of the details wrong, of who who is being played, like the individual components are off, that your quote high ROI lineups suck because you got you got the details wrong and it turns out uh, you've got all the highly owned pieces and it it just it falls apart because. Because the details really matter. Like, um, you can imagine it. It's easily easy to construct a toy situation in a small field where mm. you just guess wrong on who the low-owned players are going to be. So you think this this you know six-hole batter is going to be unowned, and then he he turns up in five lineups, and that just kills your ROI. Right. Um, so I think. That I think that has to be the case, but I imagine these sites are going to try and address these problems. Um, although I don't, I don't know where they'll direct their energy. I think it's going to be interesting to see like who ends up using these tools because we're we're just guessing. Um, I I, I, pers I personally think the market for these products are much smaller than people realize. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, but I, but I do uh, think from a business perspective, once the once the infrastructure is developed, I think there's yeah. a, there's a big uh, resource cost, like upfront cost. I'm trying, yeah. to, I'm trying from a technical side, business side of like, yeah. okay, we have to use all this stuff. We have to spend six to 12 months to develop this new thing or whatever, thing like that. And then once it's up, you know, there is a maintenance cost, but it isn't as, you know, you know, not as many resources that the price has to start coming down for yeah. it to be worthwhile to maintain. And you don't have to think of like, look at all we spent an entire year on this thing, and now we have fifty people playing two uh, uh, two hundred dollars a month. Like maybe this would be much more worthwhile to just ta raise our price on our like combo package and add it in for an extra twenty five dollars, and now right. have. 1,500, 2,000 people, and we make more money that way than trying to keep like 200 power users happy. I, I suspect that that is 
that from a business perspective, it won't go away. It's I don't think it's going to be the type yeah. of thing of like, oh my god, we're only down to five users. Is it worth having this product? It's just going to be like, right. well, no, we're just going to lower the price and just include it with everything. Yeah, that, 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 I I could totally see how that would be the case. I mean, this is this capital cost has already been paid to develop it, and now you want to squeeze out whatever you can uh, from the asset. Sure, yeah, that, that that makes sense to me with my my limited business knowledge. Um, but yeah, it's no, gonna. But there's not gonna be nerdy sims. You're not, you're not gonna. <laughs> it's it's possible. Scenario? Are you gonna be? Hey, you you probably wouldn't say. Yeah. Right. If can't if wait you, for the if, question. Right. So I have to ask the question of: Has any of the have any of the publicly available tools and stuff have they consulted with you on certain things or paid you for or anything? to ask you questions about whether they're not your process, but just, uh -huh. Hey, nerdy, take a look, take a look. Does this make sense type of stuff? And you don't even have to, maybe it's the type of thing that you don't even have to answer. No, I can't answer that. No, that has not happened. Um, I, I will say that one point, uh, one of the major sites, uh, floated the idea of, um, selling, uh, my stuff as a product. It was very vague, just sort of a talking about it thing. But right. then I didn't, nothing came of that either. So, how much um, would you need? How much would you need to sell? <laughs> I don't know. I think I have two eggs. There are three exit strategies for me from DFS or, or exit scenarios. The first is um, it's not profitable enough to be worth my time. The second is I just get completely sick of it, which is related to the first. And uh, the third is like, I go busto. I think the last is not very likely because I would quit long before then. Um, but if any of those happen and I want to get into the commercial software space again, which I'm not sure, then maybe I would consider selling it as a product in some way. But you know, what, whatever you get a big opera gig or something. <laughs> Yeah, what that's where all the big, the big money, big money in the music world. Let me tell you. Yeah, but what happens if you got a bit? It's a big production <laughs> tour. You'd be touring the world. You're the salt. You're you're the star of the show, and now you could just yeah. say, okay, here's the full software that's recurring revenue. Yeah, I, I guess that's um, somewhere as likely as as me winning the Millie Maker next week or today. I guess <laughs> similar likelihood. Possible, not very likely. And you, 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 you and as of that right now, you've never won the Millie Maker. No, nope, no. So you, no, you, I, I split a Millie. I split. I split a Millie with one other player in 2020 on a showdown slate. That's the closest I got. That's closer than a lot of people that I. Oh, I've it's seen closer than almost anybody. <laughs> of course. Well, I, I'm, I'm talking about the people that that have a, a 758 way tie. And it's like, oh, yeah. like the, the Davis Malik Millie Millie winner. Well, you know, I tell people I want a, a million pennies on a DraftKings. Uh, I want ten thousand dollars on that uh, gigantic split I mentioned earlier. The uh, right. single game. Yeah, I, I want a million pennies. Uh, you also won five million crowns on the on a. That uh, was yeah. That was like worth nine thousand bucks. I think that's the luckiest thing. I, I, the, be, <laughs> the best I've gotten. I've 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 gotten thirty thousand. I've gotten forty thousand. 20, 30, 40s. 20, 000, 30, yeah. 000, 40, I, they don't like me. Yeah. Must not must not be saying the right things to your rep. Uh, right. Because five billion crowns, it's like let's it's like nine grand or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like ninety three hundred dollars, I think, or something. Yeah. 
It's pretty nice. No complaints there. Yeah, but you got that one. Taxes. I didn't. Yeah, you do have to pay taxes on it. But uh, boohoo. What was me? Anything else did you like to defend yourself on the trial of your your sins of, of no? Of I just about something that everyone else was kind of doing behind the scenes, regardless. I guess I could just address. You know, I um, cheese is good. Dave Potts tweeted that. Uh, he didn't know until he was on uh, on Twitter that Nerdy Tenor ruined his life. And uh, <laughs> so I just wanted to publicly apologize to him for that. I, I am sorry. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it for that, you know. <laughs> so so, pe so people get at Nerdy Tenor on Twitter. Yes. If people think that they, we're going to blame you, where I'm not, but if people, if, if, if the Sims said that you should have won... And mm. you didn't. Mm. It's all your fault, right? It's my fault. It doesn't matter who made the sim. Yeah. It's right. Just, you know, right. You can trace it, it all back so to that, me. That it's no longer profitable. Right. Like I'm the Robert Oppenheimer of Sims. Like I. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this is like nuclear weapons, you know. <laughs> you get a yeah, right. chuckle out of out of out of the conversation like this. I do. It's pretty. It's pretty funny for the most part. I just. I just. It's 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 you know the the trolls are, are most fun, but the sincere the sincere ones are funny because it's like these people take me more seriously than I take myself. That's always uh, that's always uh, now the fun puns are the pun ones one. that take the troll comments as seriously, right? Like right, you yeah, seriously, yeah. but the troll comments of like, why is everyone hating on nerdy tatter? Like, yeah, <laughs> like no, this is it's Twitter. It's all shit talk and, and shit posting. Come yeah, on, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we we didn't hit we, we we two hours. Yeah, we're slacking. Yeah. Right. It didn't hit the record of the last time. I, I I feel like I let you talk enough, right? Yeah. No. No complaints. You're sparing my wife uh, from me, you know, brain dumping all this boring fantasy stuff onto her. So. Right. She, she thanks really you. <laughs> She's very kind and will listen, but it's it's better for me to get most of it out here. Ah. <laughs> at nerdy tenor on twitter uh at blender hd for me uh, let's see what happens with the sim let's see that i mean it seems like like i put out a podcast once a month and then like lulz is like like kind of like the dfs drama like yes. what's gonna happen and whatever but people don't realize it's a very small bubble oh my god it's really, yeah it's a really it's a really really small bubble yep yeah it's pretty funny but if you want yeah. to be in the small bubble and you want to learn more about the game theory of daily fantasy sports, if you don't want to use Sims, if you, if you want to use your brain over Sims, but at least understand kind of how Sims work, take the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.